Well, hello. Hi, how uh, are thank, you? I'm good. Thank you for joining me. I'm really looking forward to this. Oh, me um, too. Obviously, we shared one of your films last year as well. Uh-huh. But we didn't get a chance to chat. And this year, there's two. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which is excellent. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed both films. They're quite similar. I think that's good in the, in the you've got a sort of style that you carry to both films. Um, but they obviously are very different subjects. Mm-hmm. So before we talk about Gandalf Hide and Seek, tell us about your background in film. How did you get to where you are today? Um, so I studied from Chapman University. I did my grad school from there. And before that, I was in Delhi, in India, where I studied English literature. So it was all in grad school where I learned about filmmaking and had some practical training. Before that, I always loved films and loved enjoying films, analyzing them and figuring out, watching a lot of films that I don't, that I deem as bad and just figuring out how they can be better. So I think yeah. that's where it actually started and that's where the seed was sown. Right, okay. Um, so the Gazal, is it Gazal? How do you pronounce it? Gazal. Gazal, good, got that right. Um, how, how did that come about? Uh, so we, so that it was actually quite an interesting process because initially I wanted to shoot it at a, at a refugee camp in Greece and I went there and I volunteered for two weeks and during my volunteering I interviewed a lot of refugees and I met a lot of them, spoke to them about their experiences in the camp, especially women who have, who go through their period and how, if they have access to basic necessities and most of the time they don't. Um, so after doing this research, I wanted to shoot there, but it was not being made possible because of so many restrictions. And I did not want to use refugees who are actually going through that process because it would, it could take a toll on them. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to my hometown in Delhi, I, uh, there are a lot of Afghan refugees there as well and refugees from some other places. So I got a lot of the refugees together. Uh, they live in like housing and not in camps as such but they also came as refugees. Um, so then we booked this barren land, built a camp from scratch and all of all the, all the of us, the crew and the cast and all of them were non-actors. We went to this location, shot over seven days and completed the production of the film. Wow, sufficient. Yeah, mm. it, does, it does seem very authentic. Right? It's, it, it's, not, it's not like something I've seen before. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, Obviously, with hide and seek as well, you're working with young youngsters again. I suppose younger children. Um, what's your process with children? How do how do you cast them, and how, what's it like, kind of directing them and their experiences? Because obviously, they're they're still quite young. Yeah, it's just a lot of games and playing time with them. And I <laughs> I always have loved playing with kids and just interacting with kids. And I think they bring about and authenticity and honesty, which a lot of, uh, which you lose as you grow older. Yeah. So I would just play different games with them. I never gave any of the kids any script for either of the films. And they just had a rough idea of what the story is about and who they are. But mostly I would cast kids who are the character or can relate to the character and just tell them what they're feeling and what they have to do and what their goal is. And I would sometimes change the improvisation so that they can give me something fresh each time. So for example, the scene in Ghazal where she's selling socks, I told Ghazal to make sure that she sells the sock for the price she wants. And I told the other boys um, to buy the socks for a 
price that they feel is suitable. So they really did not know how the other person is going to react, and it was just oh, a very okay. natural conversation that that happened. Thankfully. Well, that's good. I like that. Um, at the, I'll talk about the ending, but at the end of Gazal, I couldn't figure out if she was, if she laughed or she gasped. It, it's quite bizarre that that very last scene um, is the endings of both films. Are sort of children in isolation, aren't they? But what, what sort of endings did you want to create? And is, that, is, it, is finishing a film quite tricky, how to end it? So with uh, Ghazal, she, it's a laugh at the end. It's just yeah. this journey that she goes through to find, to get access to something as basic as sanitary napkins and the fact that she achieves this goal, even though through typically wrong means, just makes her laugh and giggle at the end because at the end of the day, she's just a child. So you see her navigating this tough world, trying to be an adult, but at the end when she's playing with a booger, you just realize that she's still just a teenager, like just a young girl. Uh, that's yeah. the that was the motive of that that's the way Kazal ended. And with hide and seek, I think it's a different ending. It's a younger kid who's eight years old who is going through emotions that she had no idea she would go through or feels overwhelmed with all that's with all that happened. There's a level of guilt in her. There's some shame, there's insecurity, over-possessiveness of her father, all of it combined. And she just doesn't know how to navigate those emotions because she's just eight years old at the end of the day and is given responsibility to take care of a three-year-old, which I feel is unfair because we just expect, you can't expect kids to navigate their emotions the way you expect adults to. Yeah. So that's the insight behind the ending of Hide and Seek. Yeah, and it also makes you when you've done something, maybe not, maybe she didn't do something wrong, but she, it's not what she's not saying. Mm -hmm. When you're a kid, that feeling when you, you can't tell someone what's happened, that dread of, I, I just, she just, I just can't tell you what happened. Uh -huh. As a kid, you know, that's quite a horrible thing as a kid. Like you say to, how do I process what's just happened and how do I tell my dad? And you really captured that, that kind of fear as a kid, you know, when, when you might be in trouble or, like how, what, how do I approach this? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that's yeah. that's what it is. And I, I think I went through a lot of those emotions as a kid, so I just can relate to the character very, very well. Yeah, how personal are these stories then? Is it, is it from, uh, have you travelled? Have you, uh, what you've seen? Is, is it some of it quite personal to you? Or is a lot okay. of it um, from what you've seen or where you've travelled to? I would say it's partially personal and, and partially my imagination. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So both films feel very, very raw, authentic, which you've kind of you've told us how you how you make the make it authentic, especially with children. Uh -huh. What's important to you in telling a powerful like, cultural human stories? What, what do you think are the important things you know to get right? I think one thing that's very important is for people to empathize with the characters and try to understand where they come from, even if they can't relate to it. Yeah. I personally don't have to tell stories that are personal to me or something that I've lived. As long as I can tell somebody else's story in the way most authentic to them, uh, that is the kind of stories that I would like to tell. Uh, I don't agree with a lot of people saying that, oh, your stories should be very personal and should be something that you've lived and can relate to. Yeah. Of course, that is, that is important for certain films that you make. But not always. I don't think I've had 
I, I've lived a pretty privileged, easygoing life. And there are some stories that I can tell which would be compelling, but I don't think it's important for the world to know when it's, <laughs> the world is just more uh, decisive than ever before. I think there are way more other communities and people who go through, who really live um, life in the best and the worst circumstances. And uh, even though I cannot relate to them, I think if I can workshop with them and tell the story um, yeah. and make the make people empathize with them and understand where they come from and what their thought process is, I think that's that's pretty important to me. Like, for example, just before this meeting, I was reading news articles. There's a bomb blast in Gabul, right? And there are a lot of people who died, uh, including U.S. Um, U.S. military people and Afghan Afghan people. But everywhere, over all the headlines, just says, "Oh, they blasted Kabul. U.S. personnel also um, were killed." So it's almost like, okay, of, of course, I feel really bad for the people who passed away, no matter what their ethnicity or where they come from, but the news is just highlighting that US people were killed, not that of even Afghan people were killed, you know, as if somebody's life is more precious than the other. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's why I really care about um, stories, just introducing characters who we don't really meet in our daily life and understanding that their life is as important as ours. It's a bit strange how they're doing that. Yeah, it's just, it's, that, it's just the social hierarchy, Yeah. you know? Um, in in every wherever you go um, and it's based on different things it can be based on gender race your class your class so many other things and I just feel that's I think that's just that just creates more divide and it's just so unfair and unjust would you say you've learned something more about cultures then in, in both of these films have you learned about how people live and, and where from where they're from I did, I did. I especially the fact because I volunteered in the refugee camp. I met a lot of refugees from Syria, from Afghanistan, Iraq, and other places. And I I was I couldn't believe the positivity and the warmth they shared with me as a stranger, as a volunteer. Mm. And there were just so many wonderful people that I came across and um I I even shared a couple of meals with them. They'd cooked for me. So you know, even food is such an important part of culture and just the way they are and how welcoming and warm they are. It just, I think I learned a lot about that. Not a lot, but I at least learned a little bit about that culture and it was just very special and it's very heartbreaking to see what's happening currently yeah. uh, in Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, so do you have any regular collaborators? Uh, like um, photography in Gazar was particularly brilliant you know is there do you have people you work with regularly how do you how do you get your crew together so uh, both of the uh, for both the films the crew members were from school right. from my film school so i had worked with connor vickers who was the cinematographer for gazal for a short film that we made uh, a year before that and this was the second time that we were collaborating and for hide and seek uh, meng Towson was the cinematographer and i had i'd worked with them for a very small project a couple of years back. So I, I've, I would love to work with both of them again and even for other, um, um, even for other departments. Uh, like there were different editors. I think the sound design is also different, but I, I, would lo I loved working with all of them. So I would 
whoever's available and would love to would hopefully work with me again i would just go back to them yeah i suppose that the 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 way different one was basically outdoors and one was quite indoorsy as well mm. but sort of mm-hmm. refined but yeah the the, the both shot were very well you certainly captured mm. the you say you built the set for gazelle and it, all that was new it, it was, looks real it, it did it did i i'm personally really <laughs> proud of it and it was nothing that i did it was my production design team and actually my mom because she found the location and she booked the location when we were back in the us right before we were going to shoot right. and they set it up in 3 days and there were like 20 tents which they had to dirty and fill up so that it looks like it's lived in they had to make that um the queue where people stand for food yeah. there was just so much production design involved and this was completely on barren land like there was just sand so i think my production design team was incredible yeah you can forgive people for thinking you just went to a village and filmed you know because mm-hmm. it does appear that way so, ah yeah. i'm glad <laughs> um so what what do you have coming next is there a project on the horizon i know you've been quite busy with these two um, and also well just answer that then i'll ask you about feature films i suppose yeah so i am working on a short film which revolves around a homeless woman who pers- who wants to uh, push her son to audition for a specific film and tries to um tries to get him to act and he's just not in the mood to audition that specific day so again it's a slice of life film that revolves around this mother and her son yeah and how she tries to push him um to get uh, to get things going uh yeah. with acting uh, I, this is based on a real life story and somebody that i met on another set and i'm pretty excited to work with them and collaborate again there are both are non actors um the kid is is an like he's done stuff so he he's confident in front of the camera but at the end of the day he's like 5 years old so not uh, right, not really okay, an actor right. yeah so i'm excited to work on that and at the same time i'm also working on my feature film script which um which revolves around an acid attack survivor and that's based in india all right oh, gosh have you started writing it yes i have yeah okay. um yeah what's like what's the writing process like for you then uh, even with shorts or do you do you lock yourself away do you like to listen to music do you outside i think it's it takes me time to get in the zone but when i do that's all i want to do at that point mm-hmm. um it's just it's a process to get into that zone of writing but i think yeah my process is uh, i i'm i I'm, i've been experimenting with different processes and what i want to start doing now is um instead of writing a little every day just spending maybe 3 days a week with uh, spending yeah spending a lot of time 3 days a week just to write and right. that should be my primary goal for those days i think if i start doing that that's better because i don't want to waste time just getting into the zone if you're already in the zone it's just so easy to sail through yeah true yeah mm. you just, don't get writer's block on your days on <laughs> yes uh, oh. i think it's always a writer's block <laughs> yeah yeah um So who's work in films feet long films short films do, do you admire like what filmmakers do you like what what are your favorite films I think one of my top favorite filmmakers would be Askar Farhadi he's the Iranian filmmaker wow. and Nadine Labaki who's yeah. um the Lebanese filmmaker I just love how they deal with naturalist themes and moral ambiguity and uh, even work with children it's 
it just has it all. So these two are my, I would say top two. I also like the craftsmanship of Alfonso Cuaron and how he directs with the camera and the way he sets the tone of the film. I have a lot of, yeah, these I would say are my top three. And then I have a lot of favorite films, but it could just be like the one, one film that I loved and not the others. I also, of course, love Bong Joon-ho, but that's not a style that I would replicate. I just really appreciate what he does and the way he does it. Yeah, would you say replicate like Fahadi then in Nabaki a little bit? Yes, yes. Yeah. If you had to then, what's something you, you would like to say to other female filmmakers, whether they're aspiring or established? Is there any advice you'd give them, anything you'd tell them? Um, this is an advice that I heard from somebody else and okay. I really loved it um, from another female uh, media personality. And so I'm just going to copy her and share that because I don't know how many <laughs> yeah. people have heard it. But I think, I don't think as filmmakers and you're always a leader of your group, right? As the director, you're like the captain of the ship. Yeah. I don't think we need to replicate the way a man does his work just to, just because that role is from, is more filled by a man. Um, I don't think we need to fit into a man's shoes to be able to make films. We can just do it the way we do. Um, like I, I'm not somebody who's very, um, like I, I am myself even on set. And of course I have my own shortcomings and I have to get better and I can always keep getting better, but I don't think I need to behave like a man to ensure that everybody listens to me. I think I can be who I am and bring in the qualities that I possess as a person and more so as a woman and lead my crew to the best of my potential. Have you come up against any challenges while you've made, been making films, perhaps from a, a man or a perspective of a male? Or difficulties, maybe? I think there, there are always conflicts, and I'm not sure if it's... Um, there are conflicts on a film set and disagreements more than conflicts, yeah. and that is inherent in just the, the way filmmaking works. It's inherent in the nature of making movies. Yeah. So it's not a... I don't think it has anything to do with our genders, but it's just healthy disagreements that have happened. But yeah. other than that, I've not, so far, I've been lucky to not face any such problems. And I'm sure I will in the future. So I'm not, I'm, I hope I'm prepared for it. But even if I'm not, <laughs> then I think in the process of it, I'll get prepared. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. Um, yeah. Just about the Femme Filmmakers Festival, and I know you saw parts of it last year. Um, Will you be will you be following it in the next ten sure. years? One hundred percent. I'm very excited to watch the other films as well. But yeah, I definitely want people to see this because these are two very well highly rated films with the jury. You know, oh, they, thank they you. really loved them, and a lot of people didn't know that it was the same filmmaker as well. So they watched them, and then when I told them, they were oh oh right okay. Oh, I'm okay. so glad. Yeah, so it's I'm so glad that we got in touch again after Gazal last year. I really enjoyed that, and you know. We'll review so it again. We'll review thank you. Thank films. you so much. Perfect. Also, I was curious to know. So you, you said it's a is it a film festival or like a more like a competition? It's a it's a film festival, but it's it's online. It's not like a official like Toronto, but it's something I've run. I've been with it for six years now, and hopefully mm, it's going to grow. You know, that, I'm sure year. it will. Yeah, I mean it's good that it's virtual because it kind of works that people don't have to queue up and travel across the country and. They can watch these things online, especially with short films, which 
which nobody watches. Yeah. And it kind of, it's, uh, that's that and the female filmmaker thing, but the short films as well is, I really want to be an ambassador for that because mm-hmm. there's so many great short films that people just start watching. I totally agree. I think short films are just another art form and I love watching shorts. Well, it's been great talking to you, absolutely. Yes, really nice chatting with you. I'm sure it's super late right now in the UK. It's half eight. It's not too bad. Okay, then that's nice. It's, it's not super late just yet. Um, brilliant. Well, thank you very much. And hopefully we'll speak next year when you submit another film. <laughs> I hope so, yes. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for your time. Bye-bye. Bye for now.